Good morning. All of our series together, the past year and a half, starting with Behold His Glory, all of the messages that I've had the privilege and opportunity to communicate with you from this pulpit have been leading up to our new series starting today. 20 years of preaching. I think 20 years ago when this sanctuary was opened as a new place uh, to worship, I was still in seminary in Glendale, California, uh, in Pasadena, California. All these years have been preparing me for this sermon series. We're starting our new series in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, and it's titled, More Than Conquerors. It tops the list, listen, it tops the list of the book in the Bible that Christians are most interested in understanding, and it also tops the list of the book of the Bible that preachers are least willing to preach. <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's complicated, and it's complex, and the imagery in it is, is often strange and it, it, bizarre, and, and even there are violent images. Someone said to me this week, they said, Pastor P, I'm going to be praying for you the, during the series. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> he sort of said it like a, like a concern, like you're leaving a hospital room. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> he said, you know, Revelation is like science fiction. It's too confusing, too complex, too controversial. There's so many different opinions of it. And so preachers are taught, you know, just steer clear of it. Maybe preach a little bit of it at a time once in a while, but don't preach out of the book of Revelation, let alone the entire thing, which we're about to do. Show of hands, how many of you have heard, sat under a uh, sermon series, not BSF, not Bible study, a sermon series from the pulpit of the entire book of Revelation? Let's see a show of hands. We had five people on the first service. Ooh, we've got more, but not many. And that's a shame. A revelation contains the most vivid vision of God's ultimate purpose for the church. We get to see the living, reigning Lord Jesus right now. You know, in the Gospels is recorded the scene of the transfiguration. This is when Peter and James and John were taken by Jesus up to a mountaintop. And there it says that he was transfigured. He was transformed. His, his face shone like the sun and there besides Jesus was, was Moses and, and Elijah. And, and the reaction of the disciples, they were just flabbergasted. Peter tries to start building something, right? He wants to try to contain it, and then the moment's over. Jesus says, don't tell anyone what's happened until the Son of Man is raised again. But here in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus as he is right now, shining forth. We see the one, Revelation 19.11, the one who's called faithful and true from every page of this incredible prophecy. This prophecy tells us what God is doing, the purposes of God, and the ultimate message is it's not as it appears in the world. God's at work. God's in control. There's a lot more going on, a lot more than meets the unaided eye. So I've been thinking about this sermon series for, I'd say about a year, because a year ago now I announced that in the year of 2019, we would start the year off in the book of, of Genesis. Do you remember? Anyone here? And then I said we we're going to end it in Revelation. And some of you thought it was, it was a dare or something like, yeah, right, Pastor. Well, we are. And it's going to lead us right into the new year. 
You see, there's, there's no other book in the Bible that, quite like the book of Revelation, that answers the biggest questions. Yes, there's questions about the future. There's questions about what's, what's happening even now and, and what we can predict to see in, coming in the future. And we think about that and we have all of our ideas and charts. And I'm sure those of you who've been around in the church long enough have, have heard all kinds of forecasts. This is it or that's it. In 1999, what was happening? Y2K. Everything's going to fall apart, Right? Our whole system will crash because uh, the, our computers aren't ready for the switchover to a, a new century, a new day. Do you remember this? Uh, they were warning us of terrible things that would happen. You wouldn't be able to dial up to your AOL email account anymore. It would be terrible. <laughs> when Pastor Frank said, I, I still use AOL email, so. And then predictions, oh, it's the Soviet Union. Oh, that, that birthmark on Mikhail's head, that's a sign. Or, or what have you, just sign after sign, and then it passes, and we miss the deeper implications. Yes, deeper. Because Revelation has everything to do with our walk with Jesus. It has everything to do with the questions of life that apply and are relevant to you today. Who will I follow? Who will be my standard bearer? Revelation asks that question again and again. Will it be the harlot of Babylon or the bridegroom of the New Jerusalem? Do my prayers matter? Am I on the wrong side of history? Why am I going through this terrible situation in my life? Will I give in to the world's seductions and enticements? Or will I stand firm and follow the Lamb wherever he goes? Revelation 14.4. You'll have a lot of scripture quotes, by the way, but that's a theme one for you. Revelation teaches us that there's more going on behind the scenes of this world that the unaided eye cannot see, but by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can see. That Jesus Christ already has the victory. Amen? That's what we're just singing about. That he died and rose again and reigned supreme, and now it's just a matter of a few more moves until Satan finally has the checkmate. And because Christ has already won, Scripture tells us a theme throughout uh, Revelation, the theme of triumphing over uh, our enemy. It says we are more than conquerors in Roman, uh, Romans chapter 8. This theme comes out because he's won, we can win. You want to be more than a winner. You want to be a conqueror. How do we conquer? The world says you, you, you defeat your enemy, you destroy it. How do Christians conquer? By following the Lamb, by bearing witness. Where did that get Jesus? He got him to a cross and suffering. And that's the way of a disciple. But ultimately, ultimately, things are not as they seem. You will have a new life in Christ. Friends, I want you to, to hear this word, and we're going to study it. And some of us here have spent Years studying. Some of you have told me of long studies. It's a beautiful thing that you've gone deep into God's Word, but I want you to read it anew for the first time. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to hear Jesus. I want you to feel the wonder working power of God at present with us even now. We've had on hand these uh, booklets, these Revelation journals. We're using the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, for this series. So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible uh, app on your phone, you can open up the ESV 
Translation, I'm told that we're out of these again. We keep ordering them. We're going to order some more. Uh, but this might be a handy way for you to go through the series because what it includes is the entire text uh, on one side, on the left side, but then room for notes on the other side. So you can see how I'm taking notes on my own, getting ready for the text. But uh, with that, whichever word, whichever translation you have, whatever you have, if you've got a Bible app or your Bible or the journal, let's stand. This is a great way to honor the Lord that we do as, as a church at MVC, to stand to honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading the very beginning, the prologue, and the very end, the epilogue, to this revelation. Hear now God's word. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave, gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then Revelation 22, verses 6 to, uh, to 21, found on page 84. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blesses the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. 
Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the city of heaven, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Woo! Set the scene. It's the end of the first century, around 96 uh, AD. The, the Romans who had occupied uh, the Holy Land, they've, they have invaded Jerusalem. They have destroyed the second temple in 70 AD, just as Jesus said would happen. And churches are popping up all over the Roman Empire that had existed at this point for 600 years. But everything's changing. Families are getting saved and baptized. The culture is, is shifting. Values are, are, are shifting. And the persecution begins to pick up. The Caesars, those were the emperors of Rome, were all a bunch of jerks. But none worse than Domitian, who's accounted for killing as many as 40,000 Christians. He was revered uh, by those that followed him and feared by everyone else. His terrible persecution that was unfolding against Jews and Christians alike. He ordered all citizens and subjects of Rome to worship him as Lord and God. He called Rome the, the uh, eternal empire and himself the everlasting king. Have we ever seen politics and religion pulled together in a dictatorship? And all citizens and subjects were required to go to a special temple built in his honor, the eternal king, and take a pinch of incense and throw it onto the fire and say, Caesar Curios, Caesar is Lord. Now, Caesar didn't care if you had other gods that you believed in. Most people were polytheists. No big deal. Just take a little incense, say a little prayer, do your little civic slash religious duty, and no one's going to get hurt. In Domitian's case, it would, it would somehow protect his fragile empire and his fragile ego. For most people, that was not a big deal. For John, it was a big deal. For John, there was only Jesus Christ who was the Lord. Show respect to those in authority? Yes. Revere them? Worship them? Oh, no. Pay homage? Pay your taxes? Do what your, your, your civic duty is? Yes. Offer an uh, offering of incense and a prayer for the big guy who's this big? Never. And for that act of defiance, that, that sedition against the state. John was arrested. Now, he was a leader. He was very well known. They didn't want to have another martyr who was uh, revered by his community. So instead, they, they exiled him to an island called Patmos, 10 miles off the coast of, of modern-day Turkey, to pound sand and crack rocks for the rest of his life until he died. And hopefully, he, they would just forget about him altogether. But it was there 
In 96 AD, on the island of Patmos, that John received the revelation. From the opening words, it says where this revelation came from. It came from God to Jesus, to an angel, to John, to the seven churches, to all of us today. Now, I'd like you to open your Bible again to page one, or page whatever it is, and there's no marker here. <laughs> Chapter one, verse one in your Bibles, or if you're using your little journal. I'd like you to circle a few words and underline a few things for me. I'd like you to circle the word revelation. Revelation. It's not reservations. It's not multiple revelations. We're studying the book of? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. We'll get a little bit more enthusiasm next time. But that word, revelation, in Greek, uh, is where we get the word apocalypse. Or you think about something that's apocalyptic, what do we think? We think of catastrophic des destruction, right? We think of, of doomsday scenarios. But, but the word here actually, in its original Greek, means an unveiling. It means pulling back the covers or, or pulling back a curtain to reveal what's hidden be behind it. This book is a revelation. It is a revealing of heavenly realities. Now, this was a particular genre or style of writing known at this time, especially among Jewish religious writers, who were trying to discern God's will, what God was doing in heaven while his people suffered. But there had never been a revelation, a word from God, like the one revealed to John. Even as it's written in a style that's uh, comparable to other uh, writings of that time, nothing in length or depth or beauty or, 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 or wonder or complexity like the revelation given to John. Now, what are the key factors of this style of writing, this genre of writing? It uses vivid imagery and symbolism to make its point, to arrest your attention. Not to spill out everything, but to, to write it in a way that would just grab hold of your heart. Think about beautiful artwork. When you see, when you go to a museum, you're like, wow. And you turn to the art expert, what does it mean? Well, what does it mean to you? That's what they get paid to say. What does it mean to you, right? Or you just see a beautiful piece of, of art. Or maybe there's a wonderful piece of music that just moves you. You don't even know where, what the context was and what the, the composer was thinking, but it just, it just how does it make you feel? How does it move you? It might be a, a music video of a favorite song, like all these images, and it, there's some meaning behind it that needs to be understood. That's what's happening here in the book of Revelation. So with all of my sermons up till now, the way we've operated when we've opened God's Word is to take what God's word says literally. Like, why try a sugarcoat? This is what it says. This is what happens. Let's, first and foremost, go with its most obvious translation. So if it says Jesus was here, and then he walked here, well, then let's look at a map. How far is here to there? Oh, this is how far it took. It must have taken a long time. Everybody must have been hungry, right? It makes sense. We don't want to take God's word and immediately start to spiritualize it, Right? What do we say that, about that in church? Oh, they're, they're watering down the meaning, especially when it comes to miracles. It's a real concern, isn't it? Oh, this didn't really happen. No, no, it just, they just made this stuff up. And we say, no, it didn't. Look, there's evidence and, and there's facts and there's things that we can understand, that we can see God's word and, and, and the working of, 
of the Lord Jesus in books of history and, and, and books like the letters to the churches and, and especially in the Gospels, especially the account of miracles. We take it literally first. With Revelation, we turn that around. We begin by understanding it symbolically. We begin by understanding what is this alluding to? What is the symbolism in this text? What is it pointing to? Let me give you an example. Look at verse 4. There is one Holy Spirit of God, and yet here it says the seven spirits before the throne. If you know your Bible, you would know there is one Holy Spirit, and yet there are seven listed here. So which is it? Are there seven? Well, this gets into the whole conversation we'll have for the next couple of months about numbers in the Bible and in Revelation. The number seven is a number that, that communicates completeness, wholeness, perfectness. Uh, the seven days of creation, the Lord rested on the seventh day. And so it's speaking to something more, not literally seven spirits, but the spirit of, of the Holy Spirit, which is complete and perfect. And so as we get into our study, we'll look at all the numbers of seven and four, and multiples of that, and Yes, we'll get to 666 eventually. We'll get there too. One thing I noticed throughout my studies uh, in, in Revelation, and I've spent the past, the better part of, of the past two months studying uh, our, our series and studying God's word here. Note, uh, panel discussions take very little preparation. <laughs> this has taken a lot of preparation. And what I've seen again and again is throughout the series, you will see that John says, I saw or I heard. He says, what is that to the angels? Who's this? What's going on? At the very end of the book, we get to the very end, and he starts bowing down to an angel, and the angel says, John, have you not been seeing and listening to everything I've shown you? Worship God. It's very comforting, because it means we might get a little sideways, and we may have different understandings and interpretations of what's going on here in the text. It's, it's revelation. It's the nature of this text. One more note about Revelation. The revelation of, of, of Jesus Christ in this book is not to be understood chronologically. It's not a sequential reporting. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. A better way to understand it that's been explained to me, and I think this is a good way of looking at it, we got football fans. Instant replay from different angles. It's visions of heaven and what's happening, and John sees it and records it as he saw it, not as it's going to happen from different angles. One example, Revelation 12. You have to get all the way to the 12th chapter to hear John write about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, Christmas. You would think that if we're talking about order, it might be a little bit earlier in his account. Okay, so that's Revelation. Now I'd like you to circle another word in verse 3, prophecy. Blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but we are not going to be taught something new in Revelation. We're going to be taught the truth in a new way. Bible prophecy is not about so much about predicting the future, like a magic eight ball, as much as it is about declaring God's truth, thus saith the Lord. So all the vivid imagery and symbolism of Revelation, it's all found in the Old Testament. If you take anything from my message this morning, it's this. Number one, it's all about Jesus. And number two, all of that vivid imagery is found in the Old Testament. The first churches that received this revelation and passed it around from church to church, most of those people were illiterate. They didn't have commentaries. 
or uh, software programs or charts or podcasts. But what did they have? They had the Holy Spirit and they knew their Hebrew Bibles. They knew Daniel and Zechariah and Ezekiel. And they knew that these texts that John was sharing with them, this vision that he had, was tying them back and making sense from Genesis all the way through the Revelation. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation and estimates of over 400 allusions to the Old Testament. So you're going to need your study Bibles, folks. If you're getting into your Bible studies, I'd encourage you to read a passage. A study Bible will have a noted reference to the Old Testament. Where's John getting this? He's getting it from a vision, a real vision that happened, and it's tying him to the Old Testament. I'll give you one example. Look at verse 1. We already circled Revelation and unveiling. I want you to underline, quote, things that must soon take place. Underline that. So something's being revealed. It's about to happen. Next sentence, underline, quote, made it known. In Greek, semino uh, is, is a term that indicates the form of communication God's giving. It literally means giving information through signs, through communication that are through wonders and symbols. Now here's what I want you to know. These very words and phrases are found multiple times in the book of Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel is called to interpret the, the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says, King, none of your sorcerers or magicians can help you. Only the one true God can reveal mysteries. He uses these exact same words. And he begins to interpret a vision and a nightmare, really, for Nebuchadnezzar of a statue that he has this dream of. He says it's pointing to an everlasting kingdom that's coming, a kingdom that will have no end. And all these signs that you're seeing, Nebuchadnezzar, are of kingdoms here and now that will be destroyed. Daniel's prophecy was to be sealed until another day. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. It says this prophecy shall not be closed. Why? Because this is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. Get it? There's a lot more to it. So we've circled revelation and prophecy. Now one more phrase to underline. Look at verse 4. Underline, quote, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. It's a revelation. It's prophecy. It's also a letter. We call that an epistle. It's just a fancy word for letter. It's the longest letter in the Bible. So John is a, is a seer. He's a prophet. But he's also a pastor. He can't see past the horizon to see these seven churches, but his, his heart is with them. The struggle and persecution, the temptations that they're facing. And he's writing to them. John, John wants to help these churches, their hearts to be arrested by the reality that Jesus is with them. His aim in mind is to encourage the people of God to trust Jesus. And as I mentioned before, 14.4, put a star next to that verse, follow the Lamb wherever he goes. The culture around us is constantly telling us uh, and selling us and, and, and informing us what we're to value, what we're to buy into. There are powerful, powerful forces of propaganda right now as they were 2,000 years ago. John says 19 times in this revelation, look, behold. Did you hear how I said it really like my best child in the Heston? Behold! 
look. John the pastor knows that, it, that if we can just see the full reality of the present, then we can overcome. Then we can be conquerors over the powers of this age. So look for those key words. This letter was written to Christians facing a lot of the same challenges that you and I face. Few of us here face real persecution on the order of what these Christians were experiencing. But there are brothers and sisters around the globe who are being persecuted. There's persecution outside the church. There's pressures on us, even here, even now. There are false teachers inside. There are temptations to compromise to the culture, to buy in, to allow ourselves to just be spiritually lethargic. They were about to get a wake-up call from John. You know, when you think about Revelation, when you think about somebody preaching on Revelation, a picture that comes to my mind is, is someone who's kind of lost their marbles wearing a sandwich board out on a street corner, right, with a bell or something and screaming at people. Is that, is that, am I the only one with this? Get this image? That's, that's not Revelation. Revelation was written for the church. And what a shame it is that pastors are afraid to preach it. This is the only book in the Bible that comes with a promise and a warning. That's how much Jesus loves us. There's a promise of blessing from the one who's reigning supreme right now. Oh yeah, and there's a warning. Adding to it, subtracting from it, ignoring it. Look what it says, and we'll wrap with this. In chronological order, we would say who was and is and is to come, but the, the, the text says the one who is and who was and is to come. Why does he mix the order up? Because he wants us to know, he wants you to know right now, Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. He's in the midst of the hardship and struggle and doubts and questions and confusions that you and I have right now. A tumbling, tumbling, tumbling of Scripture references. Here at the end, these last verses of chapter 22, just for you to take a few notes. John ends with all these uh, allusions to the Old Testament, that Jesus is the root of, of Jesse and the descendant of David. Revelation 22, verse 18, Isaiah chapter 11. John pulls in the story of Christmas. He pulls in the story of Easter, that Jesus is the bright morning star, Isaiah 14, 12. Do you know when the bright morning star shines its brightest? Is when the night is at its darkest. Bless are all who trust in him, John writes, quote, your robes are washed. What does that mean? Do you remember our series about the kingdom of God? What, is, what do washed robes signify? Do you remember? That's why we did that whole series to prepare for this. Do you remember? To be spiritually prepared for his coming. Bless are those whose robes are washed. Bless are those who are spiritually prepared. Why are they prepared? Because his robes were stained in his own blood. Though by his sacrifice for us, John writes, quote, that we have the right to the tree of life, Genesis 2, verse 9. That we are welcomed into the eternal city, Psalm 118, verse 20. And we could quote scripture out of God's holy word from beginning to end for another hour, but we're not going to. The purpose of our study is not to dissect or debate about end times, the purpose of our study is to be moved to worship, to be inspired to follow Jesus more today than you were yesterday, and to prepare for his arrival. 
the promises and blessings of God. Promises and blessings of what God has to unveil for us. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to ask parents to to please go get your kids and come back during that last song so you can come back and be a part of our congregational meeting. A sharing, an unveiling, if you will, of possible plans for our future. We're holding like this. May they pale by by comparison. May the excitement of our church pale by comparison to our excitement of what God is unveiling. With all of our excitement about our church, we love what's happening here. We love all of our new friends that are gathering here. May it pale by comparison to our love, our affection, our allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's the goal of this series. And that's why it's going to take a long time to go all the way through. Let's pray. Lord God, in the midst of frustration, confusion, being pulled by different powers in this this culture, wondering are we on the right side of history, wondering if our prayers even matter, wondering if if all of this is just for naught. Lord, you are in our midst. You are here. You are present. We pray, O God, that you would be honored and glorified by the sharing of this word, by the reading of it and the hearing of it and the living it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.